Amen. Happy New Year. Glad that you guys can be here this morning with us. Actually, more people than I thought would be here with the holidays. But as we start, I have a question for all of you. I want you to think back and reflect on what you probably did last year at New Year. What is something that most people start the year off with? They, they gather and they do New Year's resolutions. This week, we actually did that with our kids. We each came up with some different things that we wanted to work on, and we came up with New Year's resolutions. And kids, if you're here, that's where we make decisions. This is what I want to do this next year. This is my plan for the year 2022. But I want you to think back. So I, I got a picture text message from a group text, uh, the family group text. And last year, they had all of these predictions for what was going to happen in the next year. Maybe predictions like, I think I'm going to have another niece or nephew that we're not aware of yet. And I supplied that niece to them. Um, different things of what was going to happen, whether it was financial or different things. Now, they sent me pictures of the ones that came true, but I know there were several in there that didn't come true. And I even think for you, how many of you made New Year's resolutions last year? All right, a few of you, or have you made New Year's resolutions? You've made plans moving forward. How often do those things go exactly according to plan? How often do we really get things where everything goes just right? Even if you think through the holidays, how many of you had plans of how you were going to do the holidays, schedules, maybe traveling arrangements? How many of those got messed up maybe because of sickness, maybe because people were late, different things, cars broke down? All of the time, we have these plans that just don't work out. That was, that was the story of my week. Uh, this week we had sickness in the house, and so the whole time it was a stomach bug, and I was like, all right, I'm texting Billy. I'm like, Billy, I'm planning on preaching, but you're on call. Um, but it changed up my whole week. I didn't get to the office any single day on the time that I was planning on being there. Um, I had to come back early to maybe help out with the kids, or uh, nights of sleep with a newborn and then with other kids who were sick. That just didn't happen. All of these things that didn't go according to plan. And, that, and then we look and we're like, well, wait a second. But we're looking forward to 2022. What's going to happen? What are we going to do with all of these plans? This morning, we're going to see in our story that there is a plan that never fails. That God puts things into motion, that he has a purpose, he has a plan in all things. But the blessing of how that affects us is that he invites us to be part of that plan, 
that he says you can be part of the work that I'm doing. As we are looking forward to 2022, if you want to succeed in your plan, then we can link ourselves up to God's plan and know that it will succeed. Because the reason is that the entire plan is centered and accomplished on Jesus and through Jesus. The story that we're going to do, and it's a big chapter, we're going to do all of chapter 9, we're going to fly through this, but we want to see what God is doing in this and to see his plan unfold and then see what that means for us. Here's the big idea. Here's how this, the rubber meets the road for us. We can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us. We can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us. All right, kids, if you have your handout, you can already go ahead and you can start that first picture because that's where we're going in this story of Jesus giving sight to a blind man. So uh, for the adults, we're going to go ahead and look at the very beginning of this passage. But before we do that, I want to jump in and just remind us of some things that we've been going through. First of all, the purpose of this book is something that we've talked about. What does the, what's the question that the Gospel of John answers? Who is Jesus? Now, the purpose, though, is not just to answer that question, but that we would believe. It says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And John does something different from the other Gospels in that John gives us signs that confirm who Jesus is. All of the signs do the same thing. They show that Jesus is is God. So every single sign we come to, we're going to say, okay, what does this show me? It shows me that Jesus is God. But beyond that, every single, sh- every single sign shows something, a different facet of that reality. We've seen the water to wine, that God, Jesus, is the source of true blessing. The healing of the official son, Jesus is God, the one whose very word has power. Healing the invalid, that Jesus is God, the one who can make the broken whole. Feeding the 5,000, Jesus is God, the one who gives and sustains life. Walking on water, Jesus is God, the one who sees us through trouble. And today we're in our sixth sign, the healing of the blind man, where Jesus is God, the one who gives sight to the blind, but blinds the defiant. Because one of the things that we're going to see is that, yes, we can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us, but if we reject him, then we have a totally different end. We have a totally different result. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to start by looking at the first few verses, and we're going to look at what Jesus teaches his disciples. Looking at verses 1 through 2. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born 
blind. John doesn't do much of an introduction for this story. He kind of just gets right to the point. Jesus is walking along. Jesus sees a man that was blind from birth. And the disciples notice this man and they have a question as well. And it's a question that's kind of insensitive. They look at this guy and they just kind of blurt out to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, who, who's the sinner here? Who, who's the cause for this problem? Was it, was it this, was, is the reason this guy's blind because of his sin or was it his parents' sin? Now that really was a common belief, a common system of thought for the Jews at that time. If you read the book of Job, most of the book is Job's friends trying to convince him, Job, you must have done some sin for you to be suffering the way you are. The Pharisees at that time had different sayings and principles that would show that the only reason that you would have guilt, the only reason that you would suffer was because of some sin that was very close to you, either the sin of your parents or you yourself. But that's also something that is common even today. Anytime that something happens, we're like, well, you, you must have done something. It's the whole idea of karma. That, that you know, if, if you did this, then reciprocity, it's probably going to come back. What goes around comes around. It's the way that, that we've come up with to, to figure out the problem of pain and suffering. Some way that we're grasping to explain it. But look at Christ's response. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus answers them and just dumps all of this theological truth. And and when you read it, all of the th- he basically does three different statements and the three statements make sense, but they feel kind of disjointed. Um there, there's this game I don't know if any of you have played it where uh, you'll sing a song and the last word of that song, the next person has to start a song with that word. And you try to see who can keep going. And so you finish the song, um, uh, blessed is your name, blessed be your name, and then the next person starts, name above all names. Or you do something like that. But the only thing that is linking them is that one common word. But when we look at Jesus' statements, it kind of feels that way. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Speaking of works, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Speaking of day and night, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I could take those three statements and I could do like a mini message on each one, and that would be fine. There's a lot of information there. But trying to link them of like, wait a second, Jesus, they just asked you about this blind man, and then you said, well, no, it wasn't that. It was so that the works, speaking of works, let's talk about this. This is the works, and now day and night here, I'm the light of the world. It just doesn't seem to fit. But we're going to go through piece by piece and actually see that these things do go together. 
The disciples' question is who's guilty? What was the cause of this man's suffering? But look at Jesus' response. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now let's get some things out of the way right from the start. Jesus is not saying that this man never sinned, that his parents never sinned, that this was a perfect, righteous person who just happens to be blind. No, what Jesus is saying is that the reason he is blind is not because of a specific sin. The thought for the Jews at that time is that you could take a suffering and you could do a one-to-one link to a specific sin that caused that. Now, there's an element where part of that is true. Is all suffering a result of sin? Yes. All suffering ultimately was caused by the fall. If Adam and Eve, if humanity had not rebelled against God, we would not have suffering. At the same time, though, that does not mean that every sin is linked to a, every uh, suffering is linked to a specific sin. Are there sufferings that are linked to specific sins? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that in many places. But here specifically, that's not what's happening. Jesus is showing them, no, this guy isn't suffering. He's not blind. Things didn't go according to his parents, according to his plan, because of his sin. But it's part of God's plan. The first principle, the first thing that we see that Jesus is showing is that God has a sovereign plan in all things. Why is this happening? Why is he blind? Because God has a purpose. This is part of God's, uh, God's plan. Now we hear that though, and, and we, it just doesn't, doesn't feel right. Kind of makes us feel uncomfortable. Wait, 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 wait. You're, you're saying that you gave him suffering because it's part of your plan? How's that fair? How does a good God allow this man to suffer like this? But the reality is that this is a gift. We deserve to suffer. We deserve, because of our fallenness, all of the suffering that is in the world. But the gift is not an unfair God The gift is a God who takes suffering and uses it for his purpose. A God who is so sovereign that he can use all things for his plan. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your week's been like. Maybe what you're looking forward to in this coming year. But the comfort for us to know that all things are according to God's plan, even like this man's blindness. That should comfort us. That should give us confidence that God's plan will happen. That's the reality of all things. Everywhere you look, because what is the purpose here? That the works of God might be displayed. That's the reality of everything around you. 
No matter where you look, no matter what happens, you can know that that is happening so that the works of God might be displayed. The point of history, the the culmination where everything is going, the end result is that God will be glorified. No matter what happens, God receives glory from that. His plan will come to fruition. But now I want you to just notice something. The difference, though, between the disciples, what they're looking at, what they're considering, versus Christ's perspective. The disciples, when they asked, hey, Jesus, who, who sinned? What are they looking for? They're looking for a cause. Hey, tell us why this is happening. And Jesus, though, looks at it differently. Jesus is going to tell them why it's happening, but not looking at a cause, but looking at a purpose. The disciples are concerned about the cause of the suffering. Jesus points to the purpose. Why is this happening? See, all of us, we we all ask that question when we come to suffering. Why am I suffering? But usually, we're not looking forward, we're looking back. Why is this happening? What caused this? Now, part of that question is a good question. It is good for us to think through, God, did I do something that's leading to this? But there's a slight difference between cause and purpose. Because if you only focus on cause, if you only look at the past, you don't move forward. But Jesus does something different. He's looking forward. He's saying, no, there's a purpose here. Even in times where we are suffering because of personal sin, we should still be asking, God, what is the purpose here? See, I can never change the past, but I can, when I look at the purpose, change the future. I can reflect and say, God, why? what is happening here? Is this punishment? Is that the purpose of this so that I can grow? We should be looking at the purpose of things more than we're looking at the cause. Look at the cause, consider it, but consider what is the purpose. What is God trying to do here? So we look at this man and he's blind, and God says he has a purpose, that the works of God might be displayed. But then he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. This is the second principle, that God invites others to participate in his plan. God has a plan. The reason that this man is blind, the purpose, is so that it accomplishes God's plan. And then Jesus, while he's speaking of this plan, says, And you, my disciples, you, we, are to work the works of him who sent me. One of the things that's happening in this, the Gospel of John, this transition, is up till this point, Jesus has been presenting who he is. And most of it has been looking at a response of either, will you receive me or will you reject me? How do we know this? All of these things. But now, the book is starting to do a transition. Where Jesus is now going to not only tell people, you need to receive me, 
But once you have received me, what should you do? The whole second half of the book is going to be a time where Jesus has this very intimate and intentional time with his disciples, teaching them what it means to be his disciple. And John, here, in giving us this story, begins that transition. God has a plan, but you are invited to be part of that plan. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That is our role. But night is coming when no one can work. What does that mean? There is a time limit to the, when we can do these works. We are not eternally on this earth. There is a time that we are called to do the works of God. Part of that work, that first work, is coming to him. Uh, earlier, in, and I believe John 6, the, some of the followers, some of the people that are coming after Jesus say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus tells them the works of God is to believe the one whom he sent. But when can you do that? While it is still day. Right now. You, this is our role. This is the time. We are created for such a time as this. We must work the works of him. And then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The third principle is that God's plan is centered on and accomplished through Jesus. Jesus calls them to do a work, but it's only possible because of the work that Jesus has done. He said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The only way that we can participate and be willing participants and add into this work of God and be part of God's plan is because of Christ's work in us. We can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us. He is the light of the world. So those are the principles that Jesus gives them. But then, once he's given those principles, Jesus demonstrates and proves his teaching. Each of those things that he's talked about, that God has a sovereign plan in all things, that he, his works will be displayed, that God invites others to participate in his plan, that God's plan is centered on and accomplished through Jesus, Jesus is now going to do something that demonstrates the truth of all of those things. So let's look now at what that looks like in real life. Let's look first at God's work displayed. Looking at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus does an incredible sign. Jesus shows the truth of what it means that he is the light of the world. Jesus shows that he is God. 
But what we see here is that exactly what Jesus said would happen, happens. Why was the man blind? So that the works of God might be displayed through him. And look what Jesus does. Jesus does a miracle. The works of God are displayed through him. But it doesn't end there. It continues. Because now this man who has had this work done is part of God's plan. Now it's not just Jesus displaying the works of God. This man is going to go out and display what God has done himself. He is invited as part of God's plan and he displays the works of God. But as we go through this, what we're going to see in the rest of these verses is that there's two types of people. That there are those who are willing participants of God's plan, who are blessed beyond all measure, who receive grace and great gifts, but there are others who are reluctant participants in God's plan, who are still going to display God's work, but the result is totally different. So while we're going, we're going to actually fill out the chart that's on the other side of your sheet. And so the first thing, what I want to do is think about this man and what we know. The first thing that we know about this man was back in verse 1. What do we know about the man? He was blind. Now, what type of blindness? Physical blindness. So I want you to write in that first box right under man, he was physically blind. The other people, though, that we're going to see in this are the Pharisees, which although the beginning of our passage doesn't tell us about them, we have already been introduced to them. Turn real quick to John 7, verse 48. We're going to start and look at these Pharisees, but don't write anything down yet because there's a specific spot that I want you to write it down. But look at what John 7, 48 says. These are the own Pharisees speaking of themselves. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? So here's what I want you to write, but not at the top of the Pharisees. Write it all the way at the bottom, right above the block that says Pharisees. Write, they do not believe. So you should have right under man that they're physically blind, but right above Pharisees, they do not believe. John 7, 48. So now we're going to keep on going, and as we go, we're going to keep on adding information into those uh, charts. But let's look and see how this man participated in God's plan while others rejected it. Because that's one of the principles that Jesus said, that we are invited to be part of God's plan. So let's look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not No. Here's the kids. You can draw the next picture of this man telling others what Jesus did. Now we're going to move quickly, but here's some things 
that I want to pull out from this first part. All of the people are looking and they've seen God's work. They've seen something has happened. But they're not really sure exactly, was this a work of God? Maybe this is just, maybe this is someone that just looks like the guy. But the guy says, no, I'm that man. One of the fascinating things throughout all of this passage that we'll see again at the end is that throughout this entire passage, the way people see this man is always according to an adjective. He was the blind man. Hey, isn't this that beggar? Each time is, no, this man's a liar. Each time it's going to not be the man first, it's going to be an adjective first. But Jesus is going to see him totally different. And as you read through this, you're going to follow that. But they ask, who is this man? He's anonymous. They don't even know his name. And it says it's his neighbors. But all they know him as that guy who used to beg. Isn't, isn't it him? I don't know. I don't, I don't know his name. But look what he does. He displays the works of God. He participates in God's plan as a willing participant. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go. So I went and washed and received my sight. Here's a side principle that I want you to know. Whenever you obey Jesus, you can expect at minimum to be blessed. Every time you obey Jesus, you will be blessed. Jesus said, go, so he went and he was blessed. Now, I'm not saying that that blessing is always going to be what you would consider to be a perfect blessing. But the reality, the truth is there. Because when you obey God's plan, his purposes, you will be blessed. But here's the other thing that we see about this man. Does he know all of the answers? Do they ask him questions and he just gives this long theology of everything about Jesus? No. Look what he says about Jesus. I do not know where the man Jesus is. And that's what you can write in your second box under man. I do not know where the man Jesus is. See, he doesn't know everything about him. But he knows what's happened. As we go on through this, that's a, something that we're going to be seeing. That this man, God uses him to do the works of God. He participates in God's plan, not because he knows everything, but he boldly proclaims what he does know. So now let's, let's move on. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they again so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So they bring this guy in front of the Pharisees because they're not really sure what's happened. He's saying some things about this Jesus and there's implications to what he's saying. 
Because the implications is that multiple times throughout the, God, throughout the Old Testament, one of the messianic signs was that Jesus, or the Messiah, would give sight to the blind. So here is a sign foretold that there would be a Messiah who would give sight to the blind. And so now it's happened, so they bring this guy to the Pharisees, and what should be the Pharisees, the religious leaders' reaction to what they hear? They should be praising God. They know the scriptures. They've studied the scriptures. They know that at multiple times it's said that there would be the Messiah who would give sight to the blind. And now it's happened. But not for them. Because what do we know about them? What was the first thing we wrote about them back from 748? They do not believe. And so what do they say? This man is not from God. Go ahead and write that in the box right above. This man is not from God. Now why? Why are they so confident that this man is not from God? Because... For he does not keep the Sabbath. Do you want to know what the irony is? Jesus did keep the Sabbath. The law that they're talking about is a man-made interpretation of God's laws. That the Pharisees had compiled and they said, okay, how are we going to interpret these different things of God? They made these whole lists. And in one part, it said that you could not knead bread, like knead bread, on the Sabbath. And now they're applying that because the man, that Jesus made mud on Sabbath. Therefore, he must not be from God. Okay, let's just consider this. He gave sight to a blind man... He made mud. Can't be from God. No, he made mud. I I don't know what you want want us to say. Clearly, he is not from God. But there is some division among them. So they go to the man and ask him again, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? This is the third box that you can put under the man. This is what he says. He is a prophet. What what does that mean for him to say that he is a prophet? He means this man is a messenger from God. He was sent from God. That's something that has been thematic through all of John. If you just do a word, if you take the whole uh, book of John and just do a word study or just look up the word sent, it's everywhere. Every time that Jesus talks, the one who sent me, the father who sent the son, it's everywhere. And so this man says, this man is a prophet. He still doesn't know quite who Jesus is, but he's progressing. I do not know where the man Jesus is, but now he's saying he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Again, the adjective that they use for him, this man's a liar. Until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he, see, does he now see? His parents an- answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but na- how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is the tragic part of this story. And I want to be careful. I don't want to throw his parents under the bus, throw them into the mud, although that's worked out pretty well for their son. Because you also have to understand that their life was not easy. What's the first things the disciples ask about this man? Hey, who's the sinner, him or his parents? He was born blind, probably his parents, right? They've had a hard life. They might be thinking that this is the only thing. That, you know what? They're still in the synagogue. They haven't been kicked out, so, so they need to be really careful. But they avoid the truth. They know, it says that they said this because they feared the Jews, knowing what the Jews would do if they say that Jesus was the one that did the work. So diffusion of responsibility. Hey, our son's old enough. Ask him. He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now understand what's happening right here. In, we've already seen in the Gospel of John how many witnesses do, are needed for something to be true. Two. Okay, that's the Pharisees' law. Okay, that's what they have. How many witnesses did they just have that this man really was their son that was born blind? Just had the parents. The man himself. So can the Pharisees keep on going with the narrative of, no, we don't actually think that this guy used to be blind. No, they now have to accept that this man was blind, and now he's not. So now they change their strategy. Instead of saying, no, you're lying, instead of saying he's a liar, now they're going to say, well, wait a second, maybe you did give sight, but stop giving glory to this man Jesus. Okay, that's not who you're supposed to give glory to. You must give glory to God. They're making a differentiation between God and Jesus. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Here's, that's the third box I want you to write above the Pharisees. We know he is a sinner. So you should have for the Pharisees. They do not believe... This man is not from God. We know he is a sinner. But now look and see the man's response. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Go ahead and put that in the fourth box for the man. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know everything about the man. But look what he does right now. Look what he says after that. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Here's a principle for all of us in evangelism. How often do we get all worked up when we think about proclaiming God's truth in displaying the works of God and going to someone and saying, but, but what if they ask me something I don't know? Have you ever been frozen by that fear of like, I, I don't really want to start this conversation. I don't know where they're going to take it. That fear does not freeze this man. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, 
I once was blind, but now I see. He displays the works of God. He's a willing participant in God's plan because he sees this is what God has done. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Listen, and he has. If you look through, he said the same thing over and over and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love it. This is probably one of my favorite characters in all of the book of John. Do you also want to be one of his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples. We are are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Here's here's the first thing I want to see about the Pharisees. This man said that, that Jesus was a prophet. Do you know what the Pharisees say? No, no. Moses is our prophet. You can write that in your fourth box for, for the, the Pharisees. Moses is our prophet. It's not Jesus isn't the prophet. It's Moses. Moses is the one who, sp- who spoke from God. You're saying that this man is from God? No, no, he's not from God. It's Moses. We know we know that he has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And you can write that in your next box for the the fifth box for the the Pharisees. We do not know where he comes from. We don't know. Now, why why are they saying that? Because if they claim that this man does come from God, then they have a problem. But how can this man be doing these things? And that's exactly what the man says. Why, this is an amazing thing. Man, If you can write a phrase just dripping with sarcasm and irony, it's that phrase. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. What's he saying? Where else could this guy come from? He opened my eyes. How do you not know? It's obvious where he comes from. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man knows exactly where Jesus comes from. The only way that Jesus can do it is if he's from God. So what does this man see? He sees the sign. He understands the sign. Here's what you can write in the second to last box for the man. This man is from God. It's clear. Where else could he come from? He has to come from God. If he didn't come from God, he could not do this sign. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This man has gained sight, but through everything else he's lost. 
But we're going to see that that doesn't matter to this man. He's not stepping down because he knows what he has received. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? This is the irony of all the questions that the Pharisees and the Jews keep asking, like throughout the whole passage. Where will this man go? Will he go to the dispersion? Will this man kill himself? Would you teach us? Yes! Yes, I would teach you, because you are wrong. But now we see that God's plan is centered on and accomplished through Jesus. This man had a work that displayed God's work done in him. What happened to this man, the sign displayed God's work. We then saw this man as a willing participant that he did the works of God. He proclaimed God. But now we see that it is all founded on, it is all centered on, and accomplished through Jesus. Look at verse uh, 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Do you remember how I said that everyone sees this man? According to what? His adjectives. How he's described. What does Jesus say? Cast him out. Cast the blind man out? Cast the beggar out? No, no. Cast him out. And And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Throughout all of these last chapters, we've been seeing people seeking after God, but seeking the wrong things. And they're blind. They can't actually see God. But here, we see Jesus seeking out man. But Jesus doesn't see him according to his adjectives. He doesn't see him as all of these other things. He sees him as one who needs salvation. He sees him as a man who needs Christ. So he asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. In the last box for the man, write, Lord, I believe. How is this possible? How is it possible that this man can come to this position of going from being physically blind to now being physically a man of sight, but also spiritually seeing? How is any of that possible? Because of the work of Jesus. God's plan, the way that we can participate in God's plan, is only because of the work of Jesus. We can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us. But now Jesus explains a little bit more. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This man could not see, but now he can. But that those who see will become blind. Now we might say, well, wait a second, I thought there was no judgment, like Jesus didn't come to judge. Well, no, he didn't. He came to save the world. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But here's the reality. In offering salvation, that offering also determined who would be condemned. The judgment, the division between all of humanity is those who receive Christ versus those who reject Christ. 
in coming, Jesus made everyone come to a position on where do you stand with Jesus. He came to save them. That's why he's here. But his coming also caused this judgment to be evident that those who did not see may become, come to see, but those who do see may become blind. And here's the uh, irony again. Who, who's he talking about? He's talking about these, these Pharisees. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? Oh, irony of their questions. Yes. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. For the last box of the Pharisees, I want you to just write spiritually blind. Now here's what I want you to see as now you've had these two charts filled out. Notice how they mirror each other, but they end in completely different places. The man began physically blind. He later says, I do not know where this man, Jesus, is. But then he says, he is a prophet. Further, he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But then he says, this man is from God. And he finishes with, Lord, I believe. He has spiritual sight. On the other side, you have the Pharisees who do not believe. And therefore, they say that this man is not from God. He is a sinner. Moses is our prophet. We don't know where he comes from. And the end result is that they are spiritually blind. They began this whole passage saying, who's the sinner? Well, this guy's the sinner because he's blind. Who's the sinner? The Pharisees are the sinners. They're blind. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. Now, Jesus is not talking about that there is this category of people who are blind and guiltless. In the sense that, hey, you know, there's some people, and that, we look at that and we're like, oh, maybe there's some people that, you know, just don't know things and therefore they have no guilt. No, the Bible is very clear. In Romans, it, it, it says that the works of God are made every, evident. No one is guilt, uh, guiltless. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty. That we could see the things that God has made evident, but we suppress the truth and we turn away from him. So who are these people that are blind but guiltless? Well, look at this passage. There was a man who was blind and now is guiltless. Not because, not meaning he does not need salvation. With that, what, what we might think of, oh, he's blind and has no guilt, therefore he does not need to be saved. No, he's blind and has no guilt because he has been saved. The whole plan is centered and accomplished through Jesus. That's the way that we can be guiltless. Because we come to him and say, we are blind. We don't know how to save ourselves. We cannot fix this problem. We cannot do the works of God. But then Jesus gives us sight. Jesus takes away our sin. If you, in your Bibles, it might even have a footnote there that the word guilt there is also the same word for sin. How can a blind man have no sin? Because Jesus gave him sight and took away his sin. 
The whole plan comes together through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're trying to think about what you need to be setting up for your plans for this next year, do the works of God. You are invited to do the works of God. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're in the spiritually blind position, you can't do that unless the work of God, the greatest miracle in this passage, happens, which is Christ giving you sight because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we need. On the other hand, if you've been given sight, then do the works of God. Be like this man. Boldly proclaim. Boldly display God's works. You are invited, but do it through Christ's strength. We can work the works of God because of Christ's work in us. Invite the worship team to come up, but as they're coming up, I'm gonna, I just want to read uh, this poem that's on the end, the back part of your handout that just kind of reflects through this passage. Who is this Jesus you speak of, this sacrificial lamb? He's the son of man descended. He is the great I am. But why should I receive him? What difference does he make? Because he's the light of heaven, and your curse he can break. But my hope is in tradition, the knowledge of my sight. How can I know where this man's from? What proof that he is light? Those who see and reject Jesus are blinded by his light. But the blind who do receive him are given guiltless sight. With boldness, I must proclaim him. That's my part in God's plan. For I was sent to reflect his light to dark and desperate man. I can't answer all your questions, but one thing I can say. I once was blind, yet now I see. Grace turned my night to day.